Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Canadian Grand Prix enthusiast, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. We're by ourselves this week. We're so lucky to have two amazing guests on over the course of the past two weeks, and I just wanted to say thank you again to James and Rich for being amazing guests. Yeah, it was great to have them on, and it looked like we got a spike in listenership, too. I think we actually had uh, more fans than Michael Moore's movie this week. Oof. Were you able to watch any of the uh, Star City games in, in Baltimore this weekend? I got a chance to catch a little bit of it. I had family stuff going on all weekend, but I was getting updates from some of my friends and some people who listen were shooting me messages, asking me questions about what I thought about what was just on coverage, even though I wasn't watching it live. I got a chance to go back and watch a few of the matches that people commented on the most. So I I really felt like that SCG kind of lagged behind. And there were a lot of things that we talk about that sort of happened in that tournament that really felt like a lot of people weren't able to adapt to where the metagame is going. And they're just sort of playing what they have like the metagame hadn't adjusted yet yeah the field at scg was tremendously overrepresented in shadow which in all of my testing just doesn't seem like it is great right now there are a lot of swords to plowshares decks and snapcaster mage decks that really put that deck through a ringer so yeah some of the matches i did catch i saw david long actually crushing in the uh, semis and the quarters and he had depths, which I've expected to surge for a bit now. Death and Tax is sort of taking a back seat to some of these decks. I feel like it has a negative uh, Grixis Control matchup and not a great Miracles matchup either. So that was actually a, a step forward that I was happy to see. And we did sort of see kind of what we predicted a few episodes ago, the cyclical nature of reanimator there was a reanimator deck that finished in the top eight of the open and a dragon variation of reanimator that finished 32nd it just snuck in so we're starting to see decks cut their graveyard hate and reanimator creep back in and it might have another good week if people don't adjust to it but really the top eight was the emergence of aggro loam as a serious contender. I know that there were some large name people playing it in the past, but it really hadn't put up some great results unless you count the legacy premier league and the rest of the top 32 is just sort of what happens at star cities. Lots of Delver variants and not a lot of miracles, which I I just have to think that that is the percentage of players bringing that to a small SCG must have been low. Yeah, I don't know. I think that Baltimore is supposed to be a good legacy place, right? That's sort of like one of the hotbeds on the eastern seaboard for legacy. I'd always heard that and that there were like a lot of lands players down there. I would expect them to have their Miracles pilots too, but looking at this top eight, it seems like everybody just wants to play Underground Seas. 
Yeah, well, I think the Open only had 400 players. It was the smallest two-day Open ever. Whoa, seriously? Yeah, now, let me let me double-check that. I want to get the final count. I know the count was 441. I didn't know that was the smallest. Four, yeah, 441 for a two-day Open. I think that's the smallest. That's, wow. That's tremendously small. There are almost as many teams in their team Opens that they've had. I think they've capped them at 400 and they've almost capped. So that was, that was, I believe their smallest open. I guess if we take a look at the metagame breakdown for day two, there were 10 miracles decks that made day two. Oh, okay. They just didn't convert. Gotcha. So what do you think was stifling them in this top 32? I'm not really seeing it. It looks like it would be, you know, medium friendly to miracles. I'd say that's, well, that's the first thought that I had. I looked through, the top 32 and i see no reason why those 10 miracles decks couldn't convert into this top 32 yeah that's pretty strange i'm at a loss man as am i how many stoneforge mystics did we see well i know that we saw two blue white stoneblade decks in the top 32 and originally going through the deck dump that they had i assume that it was an an owen based list and i think harlan fryer played owen's list almost card for card except there's an engineered explosives in the sideboard and a gideon which i would definitely definitely recommend i know that michael mapson had sent me a message on saturday morning before the scg asking if I had a sideboard guide for basically Owen's deck. And I know that he just missed out on cashing at this event. One more one more round would have put him into it. Oh, uh, brutal. So he played that same deck that you played in Richmond? He did. Grixis Control seemed to be the sort of weak point of the deck too. I believe he went one and two against it. And that was that was the same record that I had in Richmond. It's very tough to be able to fight through all of the removal that the Grixis control deck has, but he actually ran Spell Snare. So he said nice. that the Spell Snare was excellent for him all day. He wanted to say thank you for that because that was your recommendation. Sweet, man. I'm, I'm looking at this uh, Star City Top 32 right now, and there are actually like three Infect decks all back-to-back, 27, 28, and 30. It's uh, Todd Stevens, Zachary Alexander, and Aaron Barrich all playing Infect and all got top 32, which is pretty impressive. I'm just surprised to see that many people playing Infect right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it has a solid matchup against everything but Grixis Control. And you see those three players getting into the top 32, but not really coming close to cracking the top eight. And I personally don't think that that deck is really playable in a field where Grixis Control is going to be at least in the top three represented decks. You're going in sort of throwing that matchup because it's so bad. Yeah, I'm scrolling through these uh, Infect lists in Star City Games trying to find if there's any sweet tech in these lists. And they're using these pictures for like Brainstorm, for Blue Blast... They're like these inverted frames. Have you seen this? Yeah, they're the um, they're the Jace's spellbook cards. 
It's fucking appalling, dude. Well, it's whatever. You don't have to mouse over the cards to know what Brainstorm does. So let me save you the time. There's no there's no sweet tech. They're all stock lists. Yeah, I'm just getting to the third one. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of three Force of Will, three days lists. It does seem like To Become Immense has been adopted, though, now. Yeah, when I was playing the deck early in this sort of cycle, I thought Become Immense was one of the stronger cards. It takes advantage of the graveyard, does something really powerful. You want to have it when you're trying to combo kill somebody, so it's a good card. And even though it costs uh, six mana, technically... It gets around a lot of taxing effects, actually, with Delve, like Trinisphere, Thalia, that sort of thing. It actually becomes, like, your cheapest spell in some cases. Well, it's never going to get cheaper than Invigorate. Into a Trinisphere. Yeah, under a Trinisphere it does, you're right. So, yeah, I guess good for them, making a top 32 with Infect. Bold, bold call. So this World Gorger deck, I wasn't around whenever that World Gorger Dragon was banned the first time. Uh, whatever year that was, if you were playing Legacy at that point, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I've actually, this is probably the only deck I can think of that I've never played against in Legacy. Well, uh, it's Reanimator with a combo finish. The deck that day would the open and finished in the top 32 was actually a Grixis Reanimator deck that ran Baleful Strix along with snapcasters and just one world gorger and one grizzlebrand to be able to play sort of a mid-range-ish game with the strix and snapcaster and then wait to go off with the grizzlebrand and world gorger you really only need one grizzlebrand to win a game with reanimator and the world gorger being able to blink your baleful strix while you float mana until you draw your stroke of genius is really smart. I hadn't seen a list put this together that was actually Grixis colored that used Strix and Snapcaster in this way. The extra mana that you get from floating mana during the World Gorger blinks and Snapcaster Mage coming back into play to cycle through your cantrips if you want to just seems very, very smart. Dude, that's sweet. I hadn't thought about that. So this isn't the typical build of this deck is what you're saying? Uh, it is not the typical World Gorger deck that I have seen, but I have not seen a World Gorger deck in a very long time. Gotcha. I got a message from Bera, who told me that the winner of the Scholars Games 1K, the last one that they're doing before they close, was also World Gorger Reanimator. I do not believe it was the Grixis version, but... I know that that deck won the 1k there. So is part of the appeal of this deck that if you get behind in a game, you can animate dead your world gorger and just draw the game out and go to, you know, game four, game five, whatever? I mean, it's better than losing. Right. Generally, if you are reanimating a world gorger, it's going to be a little bit better than a draw. I mean, obviously, being able to combo off like that is helpful if you are behind and you're able to draw the game out. But in post-sideboarded games, people are really going to come at you with graveyard hate. And if you are able to go through that and combo off with World Gorger, you're probably going to win the game. So I'm not 
quite sure how often that comes up in a meta now that has surgical extraction and people are very well prepared for reanimator decks. I really don't think that's something that you're looking at when you pick up a deck like this. I think that you would choose to pick up this deck because you have that very quick reanimator kill game plan, but you can actually play a value game with Fatal Push and Snapcaster and Baleful Strix to where you can start to outvalue your opponent and then try to win through combo later on in the game. Plus, if you play a turn two Baleful Strix, you, your opponent is not going to put you on a World Gorger combo. I think the cat might be out of the bag now that that list is out there, but I'm sure that this player got quite a bit of equity in playing a deck that looks like Grixis Control at the beginning of the game and then being able to finish with a combo. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, the Grixis Control deck versus this deck for like strict win conditions you have you know typically somewhere between three or four planeswalkers in the main deck and then like two gurmag anglers sometimes you'll see a true name nemesis but basically this deck doesn't have planeswalkers you have the animate uh spells taking up those spots and then when you count like the uh the two reanimation threats as like uh, Gurmag Anglers, it's really not that different of a deck, except that those cards serve other purposes, right? Yeah, I mean, when I take a look at this deck, I think more about Sneak and Show, to where you have your Animate Dead and Necromancy, and you're comboing that within Tomb. And that's really your Sneak Attack, Show and Tell, and your Fatty. This deck does do things that Sneak and Show cannot do. It's three colors... You're able to play enough basics early game to cast your Thought Seizes in Baleful Strix. You have more of a value mid-range plan with actual removal and the value creatures that you can try to force your opponent into acting to try to win through your card advantage early. Yeah, I just don't like the lack of redundancy. Like, there's no... um like faithless looting or careful study that I see. So you, I guess you have your thought seizes. You can thought seize yourself to get a creature in the graveyard if you've drawn it. The list is playing three desolate lighthouse as well. So Oh, I missed that. That's that's the way that that Drake is dumping the Grizzlebrand or World Gorger back into the graveyard from their hand, other than Brainstorm Shuffle um, or Brainstorm and Tomb. Yeah, I like that. I miss those lighthouses. Yeah, do you want to move to the classic? Yeah, I saw a bunch of people that I know finish pretty well in the classic. Lots of shoutouts. Uh, Joe Horton on Black Blue Shadow finished second. Brandon Osborne on Storm finished third. Maverick Merritt finished 10th with Punishing Maverick. Yeah, I'm not a social butterfly like you, so... I've never seen any of these names before. Oh, uh, I'm not a social butterfly at all. I hate talking to people. <laughs> I'm like the worst. And I'm messing around. I love you, Merritt. So yeah, we had one, two, blue, black, shadow, which honestly is, that's just how a classic goes, right? This open six and three made day two. So, or I don't know if we want to take too much 
from the classic given that yeah the way that i feel whenever a deck doesn't show up in like the top eight of the open like you know we'll be expecting let's say we're expecting to see death and taxes as one of the big decks and then it just doesn't show up in in the top eight of the open then there's always seems to be like two or three of them at the top of the classic and that's just it feels like a a time-honored tradition that's being continued here by blue black shadow yeah and i'm really worried the fact that miracles isn't in the top 32 of the open or in the top 16 of the classic i'm not sure if it was pilot issues i'm not sure if it was the percentage of the metagame at the beginning but miracles is probably the deck to beat and it's just nowhere in these two tournaments and i just i don't i don't know if i really trust trust the data that's showing up from this yeah my natural instinct is to argue but honestly i agree 100 percent. this is really strange i do like seeing a rug delver in fourth two true names no mandrels yeah so there are a couple reanimator decks a couple death and taxes decks nothing too crazy in this top 16 yeah i mean this is kind of what you would you would expect if you you had a local 1k right like lots of random stuff that people showed up with that they have i would expect to see uh topher in first with miracles if we had a local 1k <laughs> well we had close we had close to that in the challenge we did not have topher winning with miracles but we had anurag in first place with miracles miracles in fourth place and fifth place and sixth place and in some other places too but maybe it is a chess clock issue with these miracles decks not closing as quick as previous miracles lists i know we saw that when anurag played reed duke in richmond but that's the only thing that i can think of for why it is absolutely dominating online with the sort of secondary part of the field staying the same we still see shadow and grixis control and all of the other decks that are in this open field yeah you got low maldrazi yeah it's same it just shakes me that the star city results didn't have any high placing miracles decks and i'm I'm worried about what the tournament makeup was because of that. Yeah, I feel you. I got to say, though, it was great to watch this weekend. I saw probably five to six rounds over the course of the weekend. Just having Cedric and Patrick call in Legacy felt like the old days. Just awesome. I live for that. If Watsy had any sense at all, those guys would be calling Pro Tours. I would be watching that. You happen to catch the world championship at all this weekend? No, I did know it was happening. Unlike everybody, <laughs> I don't. I don't give a shit if Watsy had sweatshop workers in a third world country physically cutting out the cards that they sell in their packs. If I qualified for the world championships, I'm gonna play in that <laughs> regardless of any issues. You know what I mean? Yeah, my, my fear, if I were in Jerry's seat, would just be, like, next man up, you know? 
they don't really care. Unfortunately, they don't really care who it is because they're not really marketing these people. Like having Reed Dugan coverage was, I felt like a, a step in the right direction towards actually marketing the pros. But it seems like they're kind of indifferent towards who wins because they're not spending any time, you know, marketing these people the way like a Star City does, for instance. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And Jerry is obviously a very marketable person, so it's unfortunate. But I feel like to them, okay, if he's not there, the tragedy is that someone else missed that spot, I guess, from their perspective. But they just want, you know, people to want to be there playing, and they don't seem to care who those people are. You're right. They eventually fixed it, I think, in round 14, though. They went and DQ'd somebody so nobody would get the bye. Yeah, Ken Yukihiro, I think. Did you hear what happened with that? Uh, I think he drew a cyborg card, right? So, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that that was a DQable offense. Playing at Worlds, you'd expect that the uh, the REL would be as tight as it would ever be. But I've, I've actually been in that situation before. And I remember it was my first or second day two of a Grand Prix. It was Providence a couple years ago. And I drew a card from my sideboard. And I just looked at it and I just scooped up my cards at that point. Uh, I didn't... Oof. I didn't say that I'd drawn a cyborg card, but I felt like that was the appropriate thing to do is just scoop the game right there. Hopefully that wasn't... I'm not admitting to some decubable offense right now. No, uh, you you were not. Okay. Were not. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty deep in the game, honestly, and I was going to lose either way. So. Oh, okay. Then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it was just... Uh, it was ugly scene all around. I don't want to get into it. But So we are actually... Uh, taking a trip uh what is it next weekend or the weekend after that yeah we're going to play limited i'm actually excited i love canadian grand prix and i'm yeah so i'm expecting a good car ride it should be it should be good i can't wait to play yeah me me too i love new limited formats i live for that probably as excited as I would be if this was a Legacy Grand Prix, to be honest, just to be playing in like a first week limited format. It's just so awesome to me. I've never played in a Canadian Grand Prix, so I don't know what to expect in that regard. Oh, well, they're never... All of the Canadian Grand Prix that I've been to have been a little bit lighter than the U.S. Grand Prix, but the U.S. Grand Prix have really been tapering off. The good thing about Canadian Grand Prix is because of their laws, when you register for a tournament like this, you get so much extra stuff for your tournament entry that you don't get in the U.S. because of the way that their gambling laws work. Generally, with the conversion rates, you're paying less than you do at an American Grand Prix, and you are getting at least double the value from the things that they they give to you for registration so what are you talking about like packs or play mats or something packs play mats hats sleeves <laughs> deck boxes you just get like a like a welcome to canada goodie bag like maple the syrup the only thing you don't get is free health care but <laughs> if, if you move there maybe they can work on it for you yeah i don't know if i have 37 weeks to wait in line but 
I'll give it a try. I, uh, I I'm stoked now, man. I can't wait to get a uh, a bucket full of packs of uh, Return to Return. Yep, I'm gonna wear my Canadian Maple Leaf Channel Fireball hat that I got last time in Toronto. Is that real? Yeah, for real. And we'll uh we'll see how it goes. Awesome. We can uh we can discuss our our card rankings on the car ride up with our our new friend Mitchell. There we go. So we were talking about doing a set review since I don't know, maybe week four or five when we started this podcast, I was super hyped. I liked so many insane plays podcasts. They do like vintage set reviews for when new sets come out and they go super in depth. They timestamp every card. They talk about every card. And I don't mean like every card that will see vintage play. I mean, every card that could theoretically in some universe be seeing vintage sideboard play they go super deep and really that takes a lot of work man just researching for this episode that we're doing right now it's like man those guys seriously are putting a lot into it i I didn't feel like i put that much into it you scroll through the list of cards and you're like trash 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 it would be great if it cost two less trash 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 maybe garbage 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 <laughs> when when i talk to you about doing the set review for legacy i just 100 percent have to say that i am looking at all of these cards with rose colored glasses because a lot of the things that i would be talking about tonight i don't really expect to see play we have a list of cards that we're going to go through and a lot of them are going to be stretches. So we're going to talk about how potentially that card could make its way into Legacy. But man, Legacy is a pretty hard nut to crack for a new card. You have to do something pretty special to be able to break into an established archetype. Or, in some cases for these cards kind of create a new archetype dude i'm so glad to hear you have your rose colored glasses on because i was kind of convinced that what this episode was going to be was me saying i could see this card seeing play in xyz scenario and you laughing at me and saying i play bad decks yeah well i mean like in the back of my mind for everybody who's listening that's what i'm thinking <laughs> but I'm going to try I'm going to try to play the game and try to say, you know what? I could see this card under this situation and this situation. And honestly, a lot of these cards they could see play. Anything can see play in Legacy, right? We've talked about this quite a bit that if you're familiar with your deck, if you know, you're a practice pilot, you can win. Even if, you know, you're playing elves and you're playing against a bunch of, you know, uh, meta rife with miracles. Or, you know, you're playing Infect in this meta right now with all these Grixis control decks. Uh, A lot of these cards, I don't like saying anything is really unplayable, right? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. On our list of 15, though, I mean. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I 100% agree. So do you want to start with the card that's guaranteed to see Legacy play? Uh, Night of Autumn? 
flexible, right? Like, I, I'm not sure whether or not this could crack into Maverick. I think that's the spot for where it would go. It's a one green white for a two one that you can either Rexage a target when it comes into play, gain four life, or have it come into play with two plus one plus one counters. So you either get a four three, a Rexage, or a little bit of life. And that's flexible. You can green Sun Zenith for it, but I don't know if that is worth a spot in the main deck of Maverick. I could definitely see it slotting into the sideboard. Is that sort of how you feel? Yeah, when you were saying you didn't know if it was going to slot in, I was about to object, but if you're saying that you think it'll only for sure be in the sideboard, I would probably agree with that. When I was playing Maverick online the past month, I've had one and most often two Rex Ages in the board. And this is just a strict upgrade if you're green white. Oh, 100%. I I think I think the sideboard is the spot for this card. I don't think that it's powerful enough for the main deck. It's obviously super flexible. And you're you're in a green Sunzina shell, but I would rather have something like Renegade Rallyer to get back a wasteland than Knight of Autumn. Oh, see, I'd cut Rallier. I was on three Ravenop Excavators already, but I could see maybe a 2-1 split with those cards. I see what you're saying, but I think that the, the card you're considering here is uh, Quasali Pride Mage, right? How many of those are you going to play? Well, I think you, you definitely play one of those in the main deck. That's a more flexible answer, don't you think? Kind of, because you can get it down like the turn before you get blood mooned and then break out of the lock or, or, you know, whatever trouble permanent it is. You can, you can have it on board as an answer that you can answer with colorless mana, but to blow something up, you're still paying three or if you're green sunning four. So it doesn't actually cost less to deal with something. Yeah. It costs the same amount. Only it, it fits your curve better with how many threes and how many twos you want to green sun for. Yeah, truthfully, playing that deck, I was having trouble at the two spot finding stuff I wanted to play. I had three Thalias, or sometimes four, but three or four Thalias, Scavenging Ooze, Quasali Pride Mage, and then I was messing around with like one Voice of Resurgence or one Tarmogoyf. I had Scrib, Scrib Ranger. Yeah, I think too. you probably want Scrib Ranger. I think that card's kind of important. But it, it seemed like I had more threes that I wanted in a deck than twos, so maybe that's legitimate critique that you have that it should still be pride mage and i'm probably on board with that yeah so i think that this card will see play it is legacy playable it's not anything that i'm really excited about it's kind of a role player but it is a very flexible role player so there's that yeah so how about mission briefing it's a blue blue instant surveil two and then you can cast a card from your graveyard. So it's definitely not Snapcaster Mage. And for you to want to play this card, you really have to get a ton of value from the Surveil. And 
I'm not sure whether or not this is going to crack into a lot of shells, but when I saw this card, I kind of thought of Black Blue Reanimator. That would be the only place that I could see something like this slotting in positively. Or I also tried to think about decks that wanted Snapcaster Mages 5 through 6. And I couldn't really think about any of them. Do you have different ideas on this card other than me? Just like worse than Snapcaster, except if you are playing Reanimator? So when I think about playing this card, I have two Narc Amoebas on top of my deck. And it's basically like uh, two one ones that come into play rather than a 2-1 body. And then you cast the card from your graveyard. So it's just strictly better than Snapcaster. Well, what deck are you playing Mission Briefing in? where you have narcomibas on top of your deck i don't know man i'm just dicking around i think that high tide i guess is another application for this card you you mentioned blue black reanimator which is where i went with it other than that like i i'm trying to think you know like it's not going in grixis control i don't think it's going in miracles like as, as a one-off as a fifth snapcaster like you were talking about see what i think about is like a strictly blue black deck rather than a Grixis control deck, like uh, a la what Ben Friedman was playing like six months ago. Whether that deck might want this, where, where you're on like triple Gurmag, four Snapcasters as your creature base. Okay, I can see that, but isn't that just a worse version of Grixis? Right, yeah, I'd agree. So. You obviously need to be heavy into blue. And I, I really don't see any two-color decks, other than Miracles like we talked about, any any sort of two-color blue control decks rising up that might want this. So yeah, I'm on board with you. I think that we can expect to see this in a blue-black reanimator shell. And then out of like more fringe decks like High Tide. But other than that... I'm definitely going to be playing with it. It'll be in the back of my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's a card to keep an eye on. But when when I threw out the black-blue reanimator idea, that was just the only reasonable thing that came into my head. You need to get value from the surveil. And obviously, it's like you get to scry two instead of having a 2-1 body compared to Snapcaster Mage. But I think that Jace Friend's Prodigy is also probably better for a black-blue reanimator shell. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe this is better than Jace Friend's Prodigy for Black Blue Reanimator. But in my mind, if I'm starting with trying to break or trying to play this card, I'm starting with a Black Blue Reanimator shell, and I'm trying to use it as an extra way to bin my fatty after a brainstorm or search for that fatty to bring back. Dude, mentioning Jay's Friend's Prodigy actually just made me think about when I was playing Infect uh, after the top ban. I had a top in my sideboard for the matchups against discard-heavy decks. And I switched over to Jay's Friend's Prodigy just to test it out. Because one of the frustrating things with that deck is you can't, like, snapcast and invigorate. You know, you, you can't really make use of your graveyard. And Jace actually got around that because you could you know, pay for invigorate by giving them the life. And this card, this card would let you do that in infect. 
It's true. The the one, uh, or maybe not one, but the main benefit to this card over Snapcaster is you can pay alternate costs. So you can mission briefing Force of Will, which is important. Or days or Invigorate, yeah. I still feel that a lot of the decks that are playing Snapcaster Mage are value-based strategies that after you've ground your opponent out, your Snapcaster Mages become your incidental win condition. And the mission briefing is never going to be that incidental win condition. It is always just what it is. The decks that play Snapcaster Mage as a value engine can incidentally play their Snapcasters to win the game. So I think that's just a huge benefit that Snapcaster Mage has that this card doesn't. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I expect to see people messing around with it, but I wouldn't be surprised if this sort of faded away into obscurity. All right. Speaking of fading away into obscurity, let's think about this other one. Dude, you you don't like this card, Mausoleum Secrets? It's a one in a black for an instant uh, demonic tutor. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Search for a black card with converted mana cost less than or equal to your undergrowth count, which is the number of creatures in your graveyard. So here's the problem that I see with this card. The decks that are going to have undergrowth aren't the ones that can abuse the tutoring aspect. So this can't see play in an ant or a test deck. And the sort of value-based creature decks it's dead in their opening hand so yes it's an instant speed tutor but where do you really want it are we talking about like spanish inquisition yeah like culling the weak shield sphere infernal contract are we going back that far to play a card like this that's what i was thinking yeah Well, I'm glad that deck is getting a boost because it's literally been dead for 15 years. (laughs) Yeah, that hurts. But what about a lot of Nick Fit decks I played against recently have had Diabolic Intent. And I, I guess part of that is sacrificing a creature. Look, anytime a spoiler happens, there are going to be like five or six cards that people are like, this will see play in Nick Fit and you just did it. Bro, Only we... you, you did it on the card that I didn't think you were going to. I didn't think that you were going to say it about this card. I thought you were going to say it about another one. Look, we got a message from a listener whose name I can't recall, but his Twitter handle is NickFitGuy. So I'm just giving the people what they want right now. You're right. You're right. Play to your audience. Sure. Like... Diabolic Intent, you can get your Veteran Explorer in your graveyard. If you're playing the Rector version of Fit, that card actually can be really good. But this, I don't know, man. It it seems like it has a high ceiling. If you can make this work, then it's probably very good. Problem is, I don't see any shells that this works with right now. And... In trying to create a new shell around one card, you have a huge, huge ceiling to break through 
to get to the power level that you need to get to for a legacy deck. Dude, what about Zombardment? You know that they have that card. I think it's called Stitcher's Apprentice now. Yep. That when it comes in, it mills three. It's like a one-one for one, and when it leaves, it mills three. They they must be loading up their graveyard, right? Right. They they are. But what black card are they going to search for? Oh fuck yeah, it's black card. I guess Blood Artist. I don't know. It, it can't it can't get uh, Goblin Bombardment. It cannot, which is what yeah, I was thinking. Cannot get Bombardment and. You can definitely use this to get an extra value creature in your yard. Like, you could go Mausoleum Secrets to get an extra Blood Ghast to give you extra triggers when you play a land. Or you can play it to make sure that you get a Grave Crawler so you can Machine Gun. But unless that deck wants to put in some bullet targets into the main deck, I don't see how it slots in right away. I think it would be it would be a little different of a deck. I think that right now they count on using their mana very efficiently, and that's not what this is. It is definitely not. So I think it might be a little different of a build, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it show up at some point, you know, out of nowhere, top sixteen, like a challenge or something. It is definitely not a bad card. I just I don't think the shell that will abuse it is around now. And this would be a card that I'd want to pick up in case that shell came around in the future like it does a very powerful thing for a low mana cost at instant speed so it's not a bad card i just don't see a home for it now dude you know this card is going to show up in some modern deck like three months from now like some zach elsick shit yeah well we're and not we're not talking yeah, about modern right i know i'm just saying like get your copies because this is going to be that card that's like you know relevant in some broken ass combo deck in modern yeah speaking about get your copies i was very happy that i picked up an extra set of back to basics at richmond because that card went through the roof (laughs) and this week i picked up an extra set of liliana of the last hope i don't know how that card is just 30 dollars, bro i gotta say the Going through the roof on Back to Basics, it's $85 now. It was 65 before, right? It was 60 before, but the yep. last sold that I checked was 100 110 Really? Okay. But that's, well, that's yesterday. A, that's a little more. But still, that's that's almost a double up in a day. You start talking to people like, oh you know what, the price only doubled in a day. Like, it's only it's only a 100% increase. That's crazy. Still. Well, that's not what I was speaking to. What I was speaking to more was the the fear, the, the sort of uh, hysteria of it being a $300 card that I was seeing a couple days ago. Oh, yeah, people don't know how to read MTG stocks. It drives me up a fucking wall, dude. Yeah, I don't want to get into that, but mtg stock prices aren't real you actually need to check for last sold but last sold prices were 110 dollars from the last time that i checked and it's probably dropped significantly since this cast has been released but it's not just a 20 dollar increase i was seeing about double okay yeah star city has a couple copies for 105 that's star city price but okay it's not a reserve list card. I actually only own two copies of this card. 
and there's no way I would get any more until it got reprinted. All right, so we have Thousand Year Storm. My thoughts are I play these games against decks with the card Omniscience in them, and after they cast Omniscience, they start casting like Cunning Wishes and a bunch of cards I've never seen before, like uh, cards that look like this one. And I feel like that's going to happen to me uh, sometime soon. So there's already a more crazy card that they can cast that literally just lets them pick up their entire deck. So if you're looking at this card in an Omni Shell, I feel like they already have a card that's better. What card is that? Uh, Enter the Infinite. Oh, that's not the card that I'm thinking of. Uh, the card that I'm thinking of, I think, Fire is Firemind's Force. Yeah. So why don't they all play that card? Yeah, I don't know. I just always see this, like, Firemind's Foresight for... It ends up with, like, Eladomri's Call for Emrakul or sometimes Release the Ants kills. Well, the reason the reason why they can do that is because I believe mo- you can have an instant speed kill with that. But if you are just going off of your omni you can play a card that is better than this enchantment like this with red rituals can do something pretty crazy this with cantrips can also do stuff but i feel like getting up to four blue red is a stretch and i feel like doing stuff after you get that out which is really what you want to do is also a pretty big stretch. I could see some sort of crazy combo deck playing this card, but I don't think it's around right now. And I think in an Omnitel shell, you have something that's better already. Yeah, I only see this card being played in conjunction with cards like Cunning Wish and Past in Flames. And like you were saying, with Omni, you have Enter the Infinite already. So I'm really not sure what that deck would look like if it was like some sort of a high tide red ritual fusion jank going on. This is not the deck for me to build, so I have no idea. What's next? Mnemonic Betrayal. Yogg must Uh, well, right? Yeah, one blue black. Yogg will you? I mean, you, you talk about this. This is the Grixis Control Mirror Breaker that we've been waiting for. Like, you get to tap three of your mana on your main phase and then cast their Baleful Strix and say go (laughs) while you're tapped out. Like, this isn't vintage. It's not Yogwill. You can't choose what your opponents put in their deck. And since you're only casting spells out of their graveyard, you can't synergize with it with rituals or anything. So, while this card is interesting, I don't I don't think this is going to do a thing. No, I really don't think that this card will see play in any traditional legacy deck. Maybe if you're playing like villainous, villainous wealth, Nick fit, dude, you can cut that. If no, you want. I'm, I'm, that I'm, I'm mostly just, just so our listeners. I'm mostly just like, trying to fuck with you. Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. An archetype that's near and dear to our hearts. <sighs> I, I really don't know, man. This is uh, this is not the card you want to be playing in Legacy. The strategies are too divergent. Uh, the chances that you want to 
cast anything from your opponent's yard that isn't just like a brainstorm. You really can't depend on your opponent having anything. I, I just don't ever see this card, even seeing Cyborg play. So <laughs> what about Doom Whisperer? This is uh, three black black for a 6-6 six, six flyer. You can pay two life to surveil two. Uh, I think this is for standard. Really? You don't think that this is like a one-of utility graveyard nope. sort of thing? Not even close. Really? So typically with like uh, the reanimator decks, you see this like post-board assortment of creatures. Like typically in game one, you're just going Grizzlebrand, like balls to the wall. Yeah. Because you don't have to worry about like surgical extractions. Yeah. This this isn't close to Grave Titan. If that's what you're trying to compare it to. Grave Titan comes out. It gives you value with your tokens that if decks are able to remove it, you can still put on pressure. This is a five drop six six flyer that further pressures your life total if you want to use a surveil. You're already a deck running reanimate and you want to pay ten life to surveil five. I don't I don't think this card is close to legacy playable. I don't think that it would supplant Grave Titan because they're trying to do different things. But I think that this is a nice target that would set up your next reanimate, right? I could But why would you need something to set up your next reanimate when you can just put a Grizzlebrand into play? Like is there some reason why you were able to get this into play and not a Grizzlebrand? Well, I'm saying if your Grizzlebrands are surgical, right? Well, then wouldn't you rather have any of your other normal fatties? So what are you usually have like in that package, like Elish Norn, Iona, Grave Titan, Tidespout Tyrant, Sire of Insanity sometimes? Yeah, ti- I mean, Tidespout just seems like it would be way better because you can bounce all of your opponent's lands and just reset. So your Grizzle Brands get surgical, and you want to go to Doom Whisperer? Okay, so there's Caracas, right? And okay, Grave Titan is typically the anti-Caracas tech, right? Yep. In a situation where is there a situation where you'd want this more than Grave Titan against an onboard Caracas? Nope. I can't really think of one either. So Yeah, it's not like uh we're seeing a lot of moats in the Caracas decks. So I'm probably on board with not playing this in Reanimator. But I do, I don't know. I think that it's worth the thought. Okay. I could I could agree that there might be some combo potential with the fact that you can sort of go off with a or cephalid breakfast type deal where maybe you have children of Corliss where you can surveil a bunch and play a child and get your life back and surveil a bunch and mill your deck and end up combo killing in some way but i feel like all of those decks that do that just end up being worse black red reanimator decks and playing this over something that is resilient to caracas like a like a grave titan that leaves something behind with it just it's not worth it 
Yeah. So you know how earlier you were like, I really hope yeah. that you just don't dump on every card. I said that I was I said that I was gonna give it a shot. I said that I was gonna look at everything with rose colored glasses, and my pessimism has just fucking creeped right back in. I literally was about to talk about that. And also <sighs> I almost started this episode with uh I'm joined by the eternal pessimist Tom Smiley. And this is just awesome. I'm loving it. Yep. So here, you got a few more on this list. And then maybe, maybe I will change my mind because they're the ones that I put on it. (laughs) All right. So one that I honestly probably wouldn't put on here, except that I wanted to talk about it. Except Except that you did. Discovery, dispersal. How do you say these? Do you just say the two words? There's no like and. Discovery, discovery to dispersal. One and a hybrid blue black. Surveil to draw one. So it's it's like preordained basically with uh, surveil. And then three blue black to dimrova horror them. You bounce their permanent with the highest casting cost and then they discard a card. So, in Christmas Land, I guess you're you're bouncing an angler, and they have to discard it because they have no cards in hand or whatever. That that seems really optimistic to me that the backside of this card is ever going to be useful to dispersal. But discovery to have like a non-blue preordain, even if it does cost one and a black, it just seemed kind of like a novelty. And I know Knight's Whisper is probably almost always better than this. But this pitch is a force of will. This card's bad. It's not good. I don't. <laughs> you you are you are correct. I don't really have a good way to defend this card. Yeah, I I don't see it seeing play, so I probably should have just left it off. But this next card. No, dude. Oh, don't fucking this, get next me card, this next card. I am much more sure about. And I put this on here specifically because of how much you loved Harsh Mentor. This is risk factor. It's an it's an instant, two and a red. It's what we like to call a punisher card. Your opponent gets to make a choice. They can either take four damage or let you ancestral. And then it has this, this one little line of text, jumpstart. So you can do this all over again by discarding a land. Why do you hate this card so much? So I have a friend who I taught how to play magic. And one night after about, I don't know, three or four months of playing, I get a text message at like two in the morning and he's so excited. He's like, Tom, I just had the most amazing idea. All right. And I wake up and I look at my phone. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? He's like, has anybody ever thought? To take all of the red spells that deal damage to your opponent and just put them all in the same deck. And I was like, oh my fucking god, it's two in the morning. <laughs> and this this motherfucker just thought that he invented burn. <laughs> and he's almost got it right. He's like, bolt, chain lightning, fire blast all of the one mana spells and the free spells and then he had browbeat 
All right. Now, I <laughs> one, I had to tell him that he did not indeed invent burn. But two, that browbeat was a very bad card because it seems like it's great. It seems like you either deal five or ancestral. But in reality, if you wanted to deal five, your opponent would be dead. And if you wanted to ancestral, your opponent would just take five. The only thing that's different than this is it has jumpstart. And in legacy, it's an instant. you're burnt. Okay, sure. It's an instant. It's a three mana spell and you want to play this in legacy burn. And I swear to fucking God, if you tell me that you want to come up with a different shell to play this that isn't burn, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go away somewhere and I don't know if I'm ever gonna podcast I don't want to play it in burn. I want to play it in blue red Delver with thought scours and faithless lootings. Delver secrets, monastery swift spear, young pyromancer, all the fucking cantrips, thought scours, faithless lootings, risk factors. Don't at me. So you want to play risk factor instead of true name nemesis. I don't see the risk there. I mean, I could be wrong. I got more excited that you said you want to play it in blue red delver than burn because this card's unplayable in burn well because you have exquisite firecraft i just don't see this card being relevant in burn when you're in blue red the cards that you can send to your graveyard for value typically the only way you're getting value out of your graveyard there's bedlam reveler there's snapcaster and there's grim lavamancer just eating stuff indiscriminately you don't have like lingering souls. You don't have punishing fire because you're not that kind of deck. You know, there are those decks like the thing in the ice, punishing fire, grow with the burn willows, blue red. But in like a sleek blue red, when I've when I'm sort of like drawing this deck up, I'm like always looking for a card that can sit in your graveyard and gain value, like off a thought scour. Like the card that's just gonna be relevant later. And I feel like that's that could be this card as like a two of in a blue red shell. So you want to rework the blue red Delver shell to include thought scour and looting to make room for risk factor. I think that seems loose and uh bedlam reveler. I forgot to mention before, but yeah, I want to be playing thought scour right now, man. I really do. It's one of the cards I think about the most right now. Okay. I just don't see a lot of, hard graveyard hate i see a lot of surgicals in pretty much every deck you know i don't see rest in pieces anymore i don't see the, obviously there's no death right anymore i'm hardly ever facing down the scoos anymore i feel like the graveyard is ripe for not abuse but value yeah but in that blue red shell that you were talking about you were you're playing faithless looting and risk factor i don't know about faithless looting man that was like a one-off i was gonna see how it did so you're playing risk factor with four thought scour as your only way to gain value from the graveyard because you had already said well you have bedlam reveler i mean it's just it's just a cantrip it's just like a bad preordain on its face right i mean and it can clear out like a brainstorm it can do other things i think that 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 deck that had like a turn four kill potentially like that wanted to be balls to the wall that blue red deck just Mm -hmm. isn't there anymore and this has to be like a more resilient a smarter blue red deck 
I think a smarter blue-red deck probably plays True Name and some Blood Moon effect and can make its way into the mid-game in a better way than dumping their hand and trying to cast Risk Factor. I really mean that. Like, I... I've really meant that since episode one, man. I, I'm on board for that. And I've I've tried. I've sketched that deck out a bit. But I'm always like, ah, this deck seems a little weak. And I'm feeling reinvigorated by this Thought Scour plan. I'm going to try to make this deck work when this card comes online. I'm going to give it at least uh, two leagues. Uh, okay. Thanks to Mana Traders. <laughs> there we go. Referral link is in the cast notes. And if you try it and you don't like it, don't tell us. You can tell me. I will take complaints now. But I really like it. So there we go. So now we're into the section. These are cards that you are very confident will see play in Legacy. So you want to tell us about your first? So the first one that I wanted to go over was a card called Experimental Frenzy. And this card reads kind of crazy. It's a three and a red enchantment that says that you cannot play cards from your hand. That's bad. But it says that you can cast cards from the top of your library. That's great. And it also has an ability of three and a red to destroy it. That's an enchantment. So when I saw this card, I thought... All right, let's take a look at something like Belcher. And maybe the fact that Belcher only has eight actual win cards is a net negative for the deck. If you don't have a Belcher or an Empty the Warrens, a lot of the times it's correct to Mulligan. So you have your Burning Wishes too, so your 11 kill cards. And you might be able to play something like this to make your deck a little bit more redundant to where if you are playing Belcher and you cast this card, the rest of your deck becomes mana and it also draws you into your win condition. So I took a look at this card and I was kind of excited about it, but I think its main spot is in something like a Belcher shell that will allow you to vomit out the rest of your deck when you play it. Okay, so you keep a hand with this instead of the Empty the Warrens, is what you're saying? Yeah, because this will draw you more rituals and either into your Wish, Empty, or Belcher. And you can mulligan less often. Now, I haven't done the math yet, and I know you have 11 keep cards that are in that, in that sort of win-con spot, but I feel like this card could fit into that shell and make it potentially more resilient. So are you sure that spirit guides work that way with this, that you don't have to discard them from your hand? No, so it will not work with spirit guides. That seems like a pretty big obstacle to me. So you play this card, yep, and you get to cast cards until you get to your spirit guide, and if you hit a spirit guide on the top of your deck, you draw it next turn and you get to do the same thing. But right? you can't you can't use the one from your hand though. No, you you can exile it for mana, but you can't 
you can't exile it from the top of your deck for mana. Gotcha. So you can't cast... You can use spirit guides from your hand for mana, but if a spirit guide comes up onto the top of your deck, you either have to cast it as a creature to clear the top of your deck and keep going. Right. Or stop your chain and then draw it for the next turn. I'm kind of impressed. Honestly, I hadn't thought about this. There's the spirit guide hole that I just tried to poke in it. But other than that, I think you're pretty much ripping through. They play street wraiths, right? They do. So that's another brick, right? That would be a brick. So we're talking about three fifths of your deck roughly being cards that you just churn through yep it's not the worst idea so i that's my initial thought when i saw it obviously i haven't done any testing with it but that's just off the top of my head i would try it in that shell it's kind of awkward with manamorphose right though so you cast manamorphose and you end up drawing a card that you can't use like there's until, no there's no window to be able to use those cards. Well, until you destroy the frenzy. Now, if you're churning through most of your deck, eventually you'll get to a spot where you can pay the three red to destroy it. So, like, the average spell in Belcher, you're generating one extra mana. So you churn through the top four, and now you're at parity if you want to destroy your frenzy and cast the spells in your hand. But generally, you're dumping this out because the spells in your hand are gone or are uncastable. Right. So this is really testing my rules knowledge and my obscure card knowledge. But with land grant, when you see one on the top of your library, can you reveal your hand at that point and shuffle? Yeah, you should be able to do that. Yeah, I don't hate this. All right. So here's here's my second one. So let's do Goblin Crater Maker. It's a goblin. Goblins made a strong showing at the SCG, right? It's flexible. And I could see this card as a matron target in goblins. I think that most lists would probably start out as a one-of. Talk me out of it. No, it's absolutely a one-of. Okay. Yeah, unexciting. I think that in that exact role... We'll, we'll see one of this card. Okay, perfect. Here's my next one. Beast Whisperer. Bro, you're hopping all around here. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm taking my ones that might be shit. <laughs> and I'm moving them until the end before Assassin's Trophy. Because you forgot about it. Beast Whisperer. So it, it is a 2-2 two, two green elf something. I'm going to guess Shaman. Elf Druid. Fucking Druid. Very, very close. And it's actually not a 2-2. It's a 2-3. For 2 and 2 green. And its text box is Glimpse of Nature. So I am not sold on this. But potentially, I can see this as a one-of in Elves as a value green sun target. It's not something that you're probably going to have enough mana to green sun out and combo on that turn. But potentially, in grindy matchups where you are able to generate that mana, I could see this filling in a spot. 
I would definitely be trying be trying this as a one of green sun target at first. So I, when I look through this set, you were, you were really looking for very interesting cards that you thought might be able to break through. And I was really trying to find role players for existing decks. And I think the whisperer and crater maker are really kind of boring cards, but those are the obvious straightforward places to put them. And they may or may not work out. And I think that Crater Maker definitely is, is a one of. And Beast Whisperer is worth trying, but I'm not sure because of its mana cost. And if you do have that mana, you might be better off trying to chain through something else. But it's a, it's a place where I would start to test. Yeah. I'm thinking about the texture of the postboard games against elves. So, like, Graft Digger's Cage making Green Sun challenging is sort of a problem. But I think this is still worth it. Yeah, well, against a cage that shuts off your Zenus and Natural Orders, wouldn't you rather have a fifth glimpse, even if it is more mana and more fragile? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, this, this definitely isn't something bad to draw off the top in a matchup like that. No, and a lot of times you have... A combination of heritage druids and wirewood symbios and stuff where you can just sort of even if you are hellbent technically you can sort of be recasting creatures after you resolve this and with, with like nettle sentinels and heritage druids generating more mana and bumping things back to your hand to start the glimpse chain going so yeah this could be a very good top deck okay so here are my here are my stretches Lazav, the I didn't type the rest of his name in to the cast notes. The Multifarious. Lazav the Multifarious. Basically, he's a blue black 1 3. Where when he enters the battlefield, you surveil one, you get a little bit of value. But he has an X ability to where you can pay X, where X is the creature's casting cost in your graveyard, and Lazav gains all of the abilities of that card so not just all of the abilities but the power and toughness and when i saw this card originally it just brought me to necrotic ooze and how you may be able to gain a little bit of redundancy with lazav and buried alive and necrotic ooze now this deck is also a way worse black red reanimator in my opinion but the fact that you can try to tie together a shell that uses phyrexian dreadnought lazav necrotic ooze and the buried alive combo made me think that potentially this could do something in legacy you can play jace vrin's prodigy to try to tie things together and have a black-blue sort of value shell that could potentially win with a combo finish if your opponent taps out. Now, this is a real stretch. This is the rose-colored glasses card that I thought about when I put it on this list because I don't think this is going to do anything, but potentially there are a lot of powerful things that you can do with this card. Yeah, I... I'm going to have to take your word for it. 
I, I honestly, I've heard people say necrotic ooze before, and I just don't know what that means. Okay, so necrotic ooze is a creature that, when it is in play, it gains all of the activated abilities of all of the cards in your graveyard. So if you have a Grizzlebrand in your graveyard, your necrotic ooze in play can Grizzlebrand. If you have a Triskelion in your graveyard, your necrotic ooze can Triskelion. Or, um, what is it? Phyrexian Devourer? Yep. So, with a Necrotic Ooze, which is potentially castable, it's two black and two, you can Buried Alive to get a number of creatures in your graveyard that can end the game on the spot. So, with a Lazav in play that you can get into play earlier, when you buried alive, potentially you could copy the Necrotic Ooze right away and go off. You always have that plan of just getting a Grizzle Brand in play. So this is something similar to the World Gorger combo, where it's your backup plan. Where maybe you can just get a Grizzle Brand in the yard, and then try to win with this. Right, I feel you. So does this deck play like regular cantrips and stuff? If I was building it, I would start off with brainstorm ponder jvp some number of the combo cards force of will and all of those and then try to see where it goes like i said this is the card that i'm thinking of that is the most stretch out of all of the ones that i had said yeah i don't hate it i mean i'm trying to figure this out for the first time this whole necrotic ooze angle but i can see why you put it on the list all right so so what is a Lotlith Giant? Lotlith Giant is a creature that just domes your opponent for the counters that would have got put on to a Golgari Grave Troll. So it's some absurdly high casting cost black creature that when it enters the battlefield, it deals damage to your opponent equal to the creature cards in your graveyard. So in some sort of dredge or dump your deck into the graveyard shell... When you bring it into play, it will potentially one-shot your opponent. That seems good. That seems like a, like a new finish for uh, Oops All Spells. So they had the uh, Laboratory Maniac angle before? Yeah, no, I mean, it, they sort of do the same thing, right? Like, you're going to completely clear out your opponent's hand with Cabal Therapy after you mill your deck. So you could yeah. have you could have this and you could have the Lab Maniac. I just saw this and I thought that potentially it could be better than Flare of the Hatebound in Dredge, better than Flamekin Zealot in Dredge, potentially. And I was really only thinking about Dredge when I saw this card, but maybe there's some interactions with Oops All Spells too. Yeah, I can see that Dredge angle too. It's kind of the same thing, just a little slower. All right, we got one more. Uh, I can't think of any. All right, we're done. We're calling it a night. I think we got them all, man. Do you see something else that's playable here? Because all I see are a bunch of Assassin's Trophies. (laughs) Which is the only card, honestly, that when I looked through the spoiler, I was excited about. Right? Like, it is the only one that I think is actually going to make an impact in the meta. And of all of the things we talked about before... Yeah, they're cards. They're going to see play in some sideboards. But this is the only one that's going to make a really big impact in a lot of main decks. So do you think that 
it deserves to be in a lot of main decks. It's going to open the gates for a lot of people to play bug shells going forward. And I think that the reaction to this card when it was spoiled was a little bit over the top. I think this card is good. I think it's going to see play. I don't think it's broken. And I think it's only a little bit better than Abrupt Decay. And I know it may take some heat for that, but there are a lot of situations where this card is kind of a blank. And I think Legacy takes advantage of those situations. And I think that while this might open the door to some interesting shells, I'm not sure how much of an impact it's going to make. I thought you were going to say it's only a little bit better than Maelstrom Pulse, honestly. I'm not sure you can compare it across the table to Abrupt Decay. Well, I don't know how you can really compare it to Maelstrom Pulse, where Maelstrom Pulse, like, barely sees any play. That's kind of where I'm thinking this is going to wind up. I I feel like this card will see play in Nick Fit. We can not talk about that right now. But also like uh, Charless and Punishing John Shells, where you were previously cascading into Decay, sometimes, you know, with having to elect not to cast it. This card, you're pretty much always going to have some sort of target for it. So I feel like it's a slight upgrade in those shells. I'm not really excited about playing this card in any other decks, because like in a Delver deck, this is not what you want to be doing, like getting... When you're trying to be wastelanding a deck out, you're not, you know, trying to path to exile them. Well, I mean, it depends on what you're playing, right? Like, if you... if you Well, so what? basically what I'm saying is Bug Delver isn't coming back because of this No, I, I don't think so either, but I think that this card is better in a Delver shell than you're giving it credit for. Because there are many decks that have few basic lands where you can use this as an extra copy of Wasteland... Against a lot of the format, this is a sinkhole, right? Yeah, I'd say against less than 25% of the format. Okay, which is still not zero. Like, this card is good. And I think a lot of people are going to start to play bug mid-range shells. I think this card potentially could make Leovold see a little bit of a comeback. And that's the type of shell where it's going to be best in. I feel like it's not going to be very great in Days shells. But I think in Strix, Leovold, Snapcaster, Thoughtseize, Cantrip, Planeswalker base decks, this card could be a very versatile removal spell. I wouldn't be surprised to see it get played in like an aggro loam. I actually wasn't thinking about that. I'd been thinking about bug decks. But now that I'm sort of looking at this more realistically... I could see it splitting with Decay in like an aggro loan build too. And I guess also the case of like an Elves sideboard. I think our friend Adam brought this up that it can deal with a Tabernacle. So I think it's 100% going to be included in Elves sideboards too. I don't know. I think I think this card is better than you're giving it credit for. But not as good as the internet is giving it credit for. Yeah, I might be on some big rebound shit because... When this card first got spoiled, I was like, you know, that's a legacy card. I brought it to you. And I was I was super hyped, thought about it some more, 
and the more I thought about it, the less I like yep. it. So it's not bad. It is a good card. People will play it, and it is a very, very versatile answer. And I think that people are going to be steered toward playing decks that might have more basics and that might have less targets for this. But I think that its best fit is in a bug mid-range shell. And then second to that is um, is fitting into Agrolome. And I think it has some playability outside of that, like you talked about Elf Sideboards. But so many people have said so many things about this card. I feel like we don't have to talk about it too much. We stretched quite a bit into this set review. And we gave our opinions on some cards that might see play and might not see play. But Assassin's Trophy is going to see play. For sure. And it is a legacy quality card. For sure. It's the best legacy card in the set, in my opinion. So do you have any bug mid-range decks in mind? We had a listener email from a comment that we had made a few episodes ago about a 5-0 deck from Teabag Tom. They actually sent us a message with their testing and innovations on the bug shell that they had. So right now, the shell is very similar to a Reduke style list that plays the max of Hierarch, Baleful Strix, and True Name. And I really like where Baleful Strix is right now. That card is just so much value. It also plays two Leovold and two Tarmogoyf. And I'm not quite sold on the Tarmogoyf. I think that right now it's kind of weakly positioned. And I would be looking to change up that spot. But it has two Jace, four Brainstorm, four Ponder, three Thoughtseize, three Him, four Force of Will. And then it's playing three Abrupt Decay and one Murderous Cut in addition to its mana base. And I think that in a deck like this, the three Abrupt Decay could be sort of split to include some number of this card, given that it is more flexible against things that you might want to hit with that decay, like opposing Jaces. Yeah, I would 100% be on board with two decay and one Assassin's Trophy to start in this deck, because you have like Murderous Cut to answer Angler, but other than that, I guess you're hoping your Tarmogoyfs get bigger than theirs. Or you have you have Strixes too, but you have four. There are four Strix, two Goyf, and I I can't see myself playing Goyf in this list given sort of how fragile it is to the rest of the format. So I feel like I would want to change up the number of Cut, Decay, and Goyf, and maybe institute some number of Snapcasters and and Assassin's Trophy. Okay, I see where you're going. My instinct was to get rid of the cut, get rid of one decay, put in two assassins trophy, and then turn the glyphs into bobs. I feel like the converted mana cost of this deck might be too high for Bob. You could definitely play Bob. I, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't. Yeah, that is a little high. I would want something like a scavenging ooze plan or something like that, which I'm not really sold on. I I think that 
your build is probably the optimal one. So that I th- I feel like that is a place where a lot of people are wondering what happened to. Yeah, a lot of people are washing up, crashing on the rocks of bug mid-range right now. I'm playing against it all the time online, but not seeing it show up at the top of challenges or anything. So I feel like a lot of people are just sort of banging their head against this. And obviously, Teabag Tom has figured something out because he has multiple 5-0s with this list. So I feel like that's just the place that you would want to start with that card. But it slots in fairly well, and we'll see what happens. You're a math teacher. Do you teach your kids about the transitive property? Mm, Yeah. So the Patriots went to Ford Field, and they lost by 16 to the Lions. The Jets went to Ford Field, and they beat the Lions by 31. So if the Jets play the Patriots right now, according to the transitive property, we could expect them to win by 47? I, I don't think that's how math works. I'm pretty sure it is, bro. If they were to play at Ford Field, Are you really talking shit from the one and two bracket? Like... (laughs) (laughs) Abso-fucking-lutely. All right. Where can people find you if they want to talk shit about the Jets? At Ian18125 on Twitter. And you can find me at TSmileyMTG and the cast at DeadFormatCast. At gmail.com. There we go.